This was Imam Ibn al-Nahawi, a very famous scholar of his time and indeed a very famous scholar of our history, of our tradition. For many people he's known as the Ghazali of al-Maghrib. He's the Imam Ghazali of al-Maghrib. And many people, there are legends that have been developed of Imam Nahawi over the years and over the centuries that he was someone whose dua you wanted to stay clear of. Because there were several examples in his life where he would make a dua for or against something and it would come true. Imam Nahawi had to escape, as I mentioned, the oppression of his local government. And after he settled in a different part of the ummah and began to teach and preach, his family, some of his family who were still left behind under the oppression, sent him a message and asked him to send them back some advice and some dua and some help that will bring relief from the oppression that they were under. So Imam al-Nahawi prayed tahajjud and he prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he made dua and then he penned a very famous poem and dua that he sent back to his family. That dua is now very famous in our ummah. It's recited quite often when the ummah is facing difficulty and oppression and constriction. It's called Al-Munfarijah, the reliever. And it's a dua, as I mentioned, that he wrote specifically to his loved ones to help them or have them ask Allah for relief. Now the dua, the request was for a dua. And the poem is a bit lengthy. There's quite a bit that he says. But the dua part of it is just the last line. The bulk of this poem is Imam al-Nahawi restating, reaffirming the beliefs, the worldview, the approach, the aqidah of the believer when he or she is facing any sort of difficulty and especially in this specific case, oppression, political or otherwise. And so the, almost the bulk of the dua is him reaffirming and reminding the believers of how we approach these things. And then praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I want to share three lines from this poem because given what we have all just witnessed and experienced for the last week, given the difficulty that we've all just lived through and are still living through, given the pain that we're all still suffering today, alhamdulillah, I think these reminders would suffice us very well. I'm going to do my best to recite the Arabic, but the Arabic, he's called Ibn al-Nahawi, by the way, it's a pen name. It's a name given to him because his literary mastery. And so the Arabic is a little difficult even for much more seasoned Arabs than I. I'll recite it, and I might get it wrong, so no one hold it against me, inshallah. I'll recite it just for the barakah of it, and really just to give it its authenticity. He begins in the first line by saying, he says, Oh difficulty, get harder. Because verily, your night will give way to the new dawn. Oh difficulty, get harder. For verily, your night will give way to a new dawn. And this echoes, you know, there's a very famous saying that is worldwide now. It's definitely in the culture, in the American lexicon. The saying goes, the night is always darkest before the dawn. This statement is actually attributed to Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu all those years ago, the cousin of our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Imam al-Nahawi is echoing it again here. But there are two distinct reminders I think we should take away 
from this stanza. The first is that the only choice, the only agency, the only power Allah has given any human being on this earth is the power on how they will respond to the circumstances Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them. You and I cannot choose where we were born. We may not even be able to choose where we live sometimes. We certainly don't get to choose the era in which we live. None of us can control the billions of people and the way they think on this earth. None of us have power over the powers that be in this earth. We're all living through these circumstances that Allah has willed. There's one agency that He has given us, and that is how will you respond to what He gives you? The first reminder from this stanza is you have that agency and that power. You see, when the fitan come, when oppression comes, when constriction comes, when difficulty comes, it has the ability to overwhelm the human being, to overpower them. And certainly, in this hyper-connected age that we live in, where we're able to follow with bated breath every breaking detail of every news story. And many of us have lived that again this week. Where you were probably waiting and refreshing every moment. Did something new happen? Did something new happen? Did someone announce something? And because of this tidal wave of information, this fitna, this constriction has a way of overpowering our lives, our thoughts, our emotions. Where many of the people I've been discussing with this week, there's a feeling that you're out of place. Your routines have been upended. People feel jittery. They feel anxious. They feel unsettled. They feel nervous. They're going to sleep later with their phones constantly checking and checking and rechecking. They're waking up immediately checking and checking and rechecking. And it has this magnified ability then to overwhelm your senses, to start to drive you, to define how you're going to react, how you're going to feel, what you're going to think, what you're going to do. And for many of us, it may become a paralysis. We just end up refreshing and refreshing and refreshing. Nothing productive is happening. And that's not to diminish the need to stay in touch with the ummah of Muhammad wasallam, But it's to highlight the fact that this hyper-connectivity has embellished and enhanced the ability of this oppression and this constriction to overwhelm us. Imam al-Nahawi is reminding us, you and I, no, no, don't let it overwhelm you. Don't let it ride you. You ride it. You take control of this difficulty. You will decide how you will react. You will decide what is the right course of action. You will decide when you will engage, when you will not engage, and how you will engage. You won't let the onslaught define you. That's the first implicit reminder in this stanza. The second one though. He says, O Esma, O difficulty, get more difficult. Counterintuitive. We are not taught as an ummah. The Prophet ﷺ taught us clearly, don't ask for difficulty. For difficulty. Ask for afiyah. Ask Allah for ease and relief. But what Imam al-Nahwi is saying here, what he's reminding you and I of, is that we never know when the end of the constriction is coming. You know, there was a very famous and popular business book that got published sometime in the last two decades here in America. The book is called Good to Great. And there's one story that has stuck with me. I've mentioned it sometimes in the past here on this mimbar. But it's stuck with me for a very long time. 
the author of the book was interviewing prisoners of war from Vietnam. And he asked one of the survivors, who were the people that failed or that died off the quickest from the other prisoners? Who were the people who lost hope the quickest? And the response was, oh, that's easy. It was the optimists. And the author was confused. He's like, can you define what you mean? He said, yeah, I'll tell you what I mean. The optimists were the people who said, we will definitely be out by Christmas. And Christmas came and it went and we weren't free. And so they said, okay, we'll be out by Easter. And Easter came and it went and we weren't free. And they did this a few times until their heart was too broken. They gave up hope. As for us, those that survived, we were just determined to survive no matter how long we were going to be stuck there. We wouldn't let our captures overpower us. No matter how long it took, we were going to wait it out. This ummah, walhamdulillah, is a resilient ummah. It is a very resilient ummah. Hundred of year, uh, 100 years plus now, we've been suffering from the yoke of disunion and other people dictating to us how and why and where we should live. And yet, Iman remains in our heart. And yet, Allah and His Messenger remain the most beloved to us. Walhamdulillah. We're a very resilient ummah. And one reason why we are very resilient is this philosophy that Imam al-Nahawi is reminding us of. We don't hold ourselves to a timeline. This tragedy we're in right now may only get darker in the coming days. The death toll may rise. Maybe some of our worst fears may happen. An ethnic cleansing may actually take place. More of our Palestinian brothers and sisters may be driven from their homes for good. It may happen. Only Allah knows. Even if that happens, this ummah will not break. This ummah will not give up hope. And that's the concept that he's reminding us of here. Get more difficult. And then he tells us why. Because we know in order for the faraj, in order for the victory, in order for the dawn and the rising sun to come, the end of the night has to come. We don't know when it will be. We don't know what the end of the night looks like. But we want it to come. So come quicker rather than later. And I just have to pause here from my commentary to define something. Because given how hot this topic is, people, some of our enemies may be listening in with a more keen ear today. When we say victory on this mimbar, what we mean is the victory of God. And that means we are looking for a victory of justice and mercy for all of humankind. For us, victory in the Holy Land is when a Muslim, a Jew, and a Christian can worship and live freely and justly and have mercy between them. That's the victory we want. That's the faraj that I'm talking about in this khutbah. It's not a victory of vengeance. It's not a victory of tribalism. It's not a victory of killing them because they killed us. That's not what the ummah of Muhammad is supposed to be about. That's not what our Prophet taught us and I'll get to that in the second khutbah inshaAllah. Our faraj is a victory of God's justice and mercy finally coming back to this earth. Now moving on to the next stanza I want to remind us of from this poem. He says, وَظَلَامُ اللَّيْلِ لَهُ سَرَجِي حَتَّى يَخْشَاهُ أَبُوا السَّرَجِي he says, but while you are in the night, know that the darkness of the night has its own lights. And they will remain there until the father of all lights, the sun, rises. 
What he's saying here is, yes, we want that faraj, we want the dawn to come. But oh Muslim, don't forget that there is beauty and there is wisdom in the darkness and the difficulty that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts you in the middle of. In the night sky, there is the beauty of the heavens. There are all those billions of stars. And there is that bright, beautiful moon. And if you are constantly worried or focused on when will the dawn come, you're going to miss the beauty of those stars. And those stars represent two things in this analogy. One, it represents the lessons that the believer can learn. You know, one reflection that hasn't been lost on me in this last week with all of the difficulties that the ummah is facing. I haven't even mentioned the earthquake that hit Afghanistan yet. After all that country and our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan have had to endure, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed them with this additional difficulty. One has to ask himself or herself, perhaps with every shake, Allah is trying to remove some more rust from the hearts of our collective ummah. That maybe we're still too attached to parts of this world. And with every difficulty, Allah is taking away one more thing we've relied on other than Him. And so finally, the only thing left for the believer is that complete and utter reliance on no one but Allah. That is when the faraj will come. That's one of the stars. That's one of the stars, or perhaps the moon of the night. That you remember, ultimately, this is in the hands of God. But there's also many blessings that come hidden with every single difficulty. You know, Sayyidina Umar, we all know those famous ayat, إِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى إِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى Allah swears twice that with every single difficulty, there are many eases. Sayyidina Umar used to say, the one usr will never overpower the two yusr. Allah in these ayat makes it clear, He's talking about each individual difficulty, because He says, al-usr, one difficulty each. Yusra yusra, two unadulterated, undefined yusr. Some ulama say that means there's a yusr, there's an ease in the middle of the difficulty and then there's the ease after. But Sayyidina Umar says, no, this is a promise from Allah. The ease that you get hidden in a difficulty will never overpower the difficulty of that constriction. Just in the last week, we have seen tons of beauty. Yet again, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve our brothers and sisters in Gaza. Every time they are bombed to smithereens, the videos that come out reignite our faith in our ummah. Walhamdulillah. All of you, I'm sure, those of you especially who have connections to that land, you've seen the videos coming out. You've heard the voice notes coming out. People living through bombs. You can hear the bombs falling in the background. And they say to us, we're good. We pray that Allah blesses you the way He blessed us. And you'll find these little children sitting on the ground, cowering, you would expect them to be cowering in fear, covering their fear with the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You find sons burnt to a crisp, but still alive, next to their fathers, weeping over them, telling them, don't worry my father, I am okay, Allah is with us. What beauty, what beauty, yes we're in the midst of this hardship, but what beauty is Allah showing us, walhamdulillah. And then here in this country, walhamdulillah, this is maybe the third or the fourth time American Muslims in my generation are living in this rhetoric lead up to war. 
And I saw this week from my Muslim brothers and sisters in America something that again reignited my faith in our ummah. All of you, I'm sure, received one form of email or another from your school, from your municipality, from your corporation, showing unadulterated sympathy for the lives lost on one side and completely dehumanizing and forgetting, sometimes explicitly, sometimes implicitly, the pain and the suffering of our brothers and sisters and the pain and the suffering that you and I are feeling. And where in past years the Muslims might have sucked it up because we felt like we didn't belong, dozens of Muslims just in my own social circle on their own took initiative to email their representatives, to email their bosses, to email the deans of their schools, telling them why their messages were unbalanced, unfair, incorrect, and doing so with the character of a Muslim, alhamdulillah, and doing so with the intelligence and the capacity of the education that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them. Alhamdulillah. Look at the barakah. Look at the stars Allah is allowing us to witness in this night sky. If we're constantly just waiting for that dawn, we're going to miss all of this beauty. You know, our beloved messenger Muhammad sallallahu has a very beautiful hadith where he says, ask Allah for his fadl because he loves to be asked. Ask Allah, uh, sorry, he said, that's a different hadith, I'll get to that in a minute. He said, alayhi salatu wassalam, he said the first people who will be called to Jannah on the Day of Judgment are the Hamidun. The people who are defined by praising Allah. And then he described these people. He said these are the people that ha- they do hamd in times of felicity and they do hamd in times of adversity. The first people called to Jannah on the Day of Judgment will be the people who praised Allah in the hardship just as they did in the ease. If we never lived through this night, could we show Allah hamd in the hardship? No. Allah told us, He promised us in the Qur'an, I am going to test you with the loss of all of these things. And the reason is, I'm going to make it known which of you deserve to be called into Jannah first and which of you deserve to lag behind. Walhamdulillah for all of this beauty that we're witnessing. The third and final stanza from this poem that I want to go over. He says, وَالْخَلْقُ جَمِيعًا فِي يَدِي فَذُوُّهُ سَعَةً وَذُوُّهُ حَرَجِي And again, forgive me if I butchered the Arabic. His Arabic is a little bit advanced for me. He says though, all of creation is in the hands of Allah. Some of it is in a state of constriction. Some of it is in a state of ease. I want to remind myself and all of my brothers and sisters here, don't pay attention I shouldn't say it that way. Don't buy into all the bolstering and the chest beating. None of these people with their billion dollar arsenals have any real power. All of the power belongs to Allah. He controls the dominion of this earth. He gives it to whomever He wills for the time that He wills. And they will be held to account for what they did with the power He gave them. But they have no real power. It's all in the hands of Allah. Allah has His wisdoms. Allah knows better than you and I why He's allowed this oppression to continue. But never forget that He is in control. As one of my teachers loves to say, history is nothing but a series of surprise events. Now this has two meanings. One, Allah is the only one. He says, kun fayakun. 
He says, be and it is. Thousand year old hierarchies can be upended in a moment if Allah wants them to be. Allah can change the status of this ummah today if He wants. And we ask Him to do that for us inshallah. But the other reality is, you and I don't have the full picture and we never will. Good comes back to this earth and is built on this earth little by little, by and large. That's the sunnah of Allah. But we don't see it happening. And these power structures remain for a while until their rot has set in enough. And then all of a sudden, into what seems like a surprise to everyone else, they tip over and they fall. We don't know when that will come. But that's the way history has always been. Because Allah is ultimately in control. Please, my dear brothers, move up as much as you can. Make space for your brothers. Allah SWT will make space for you in Jannah, inshaAllah. But the other reminder from this part of the poem, he says, everybody, you're either in a state of constriction or a state of ease. And that is the reality. Many of us, prior to this latest tragedy hitting the ummah, might have been immersed in our own minor victimhood. We might have been immersed in our own narrative of victimhood. We might have been so overwhelmed with our own difficulties. We had convinced ourselves that somehow Allah hadn't given us good things in our life. And then the images of Gaza flash across your screen and you're reminded of all the ease and the blessings and the barakah Allah has put in your life. You're in a state of material ease. Your brothers and sisters in Gaza are in a state, the, the exact definition of constriction where this expansive earth has been made narrow on them. But I want to highlight the reverse is true when it comes to the spiritual states. Wallahu alam. When you see the videos and the messages and the voice notes that come out of these lands hit with difficulty. And the believers have a clarity of their belief where they tell you, do what you can for us, but no, we are, we are in a good place with Allah. Walhamdulillah. May Allah give you the station that He gave us. May Allah give us the station He gave them. They are in a state of expanse spiritually. And we may be in a state of constriction spiritually. We're still timid. We're still unsure. We're still doubtful about what this world is about. And so while we have to do our best with the ease Allah has given us, let us not fool ourselves into thinking that they have nothing and we have it all. Our brothers and sisters in these areas hit, in Gaza primarily that I'm refer referencing today, have such an expansion in their chest, walhamdulillah. May Allah increase it for them and give them expansion in their material world. And never forget Allah remains in control. Now there are dozens of stories from the seerah that I could have picked to bring these concepts together. But before I go to the break, I just want to say, the entire seerah of our beloved master Muhammad al-Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is a manifestation of everything I just said. Imagine yourself born in Mecca when the Prophet sallallahu comes and you hear his message. And you believe in him. The way Khabbab anhu, believed in him in the early stages of Mecca. And you have to live through 13 years, year after year after year. Quraysh is killing you, torturing you, stealing your wealth, slandering you, blaming you. How many of us would have gone and complained the way Khabbab did to our beloved messenger? Won't you ask, forgive it to me, Ya Rasulullah? And how many of us would have expected the response of our beloved messenger? Wallahi, the victory will come. 
but you're a people who don't have patience. Could you have waited those 13 years? The prophet, after those 13 years, has to run away in exile, and it still doesn't get easier. He goes to Medina. They get sick. They're poor, and it's not like they're left alone. Quraysh comes out to Badr, believing wholeheartedly it's over. We're going to kill Muhammad today. They bring their women and their wine to celebrate. And Allah does away with them in Badr. And it still doesn't end. The Muslims suffer at Uhud. And then the Muslims have to suffer through Al-Khandaq. After those 13 years in Mecca, at least another eight go by of constriction for our beloved master Muhammad Wasallam, who is more beloved to Allah than all of us are. Another eight years go by. And he is in constriction. And it's just that last year or so where Allah gives him the expanse. The entire seerah of our beloved messenger is an example for us in this. And ultimately, know my dear brothers and sisters, just as it did for Muhammad Wasallam, at some point, this victory will come for us. And if you're wondering why we are waiting so much, before I go to break, I'll leave you with this one hadith. The Prophet ﷺ says, Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his fadl, for he loves to be asked for his fadl. And he says, and know that waiting for the faraj of Allah is an act of ibadah. So those of you wondering, how much longer are we going to wait? Those of you wondering, what is the beauty of this night, this darkness we're living through today? One of those beauties, one of those wisdoms is, the entire ummah is in a state of ibadah. And the language that the Prophet used is, Khairul ibadah, the best of ibadah, the best state of worship is to be in a state where you're waiting for the faraj from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah has put the entire ummah in a state of ibadah. Walhamdulillah. Wa aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullah azimni wa lakum wa ya fawzul mustaghfirin astaghfirullah. Alhamdulillah. Nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiruhu. My dear brothers and sisters, I ask you for a little bit of laxity. I still have a little bit more I want to tell you. And I tried, I promise I tried to shorten it as much as I could. But there were two parts to this khutbah I felt needed to be shared. The first was the spiritual reminder that I gave in the first khutbah. But the second is, we do actually have calls to action as an ummah. We do. On a large scale, what you have been doing, the calls that the masjid and every khatib and scholar has put out to you in America to do good, continue doing it. Don't let the tragedies of the day distract you from the good Allah has put in your path. Be a good father, a good mother, a good husband, a good worker, a good doctor, a good lawyer. Perfect your craft, perfect your character, and do good wherever Allah puts you. With every little bit of good, the collective beauty of this world goes up. So do not get discouraged or distracted from the good you are doing. But there is a new struggle, or at least a resurgent struggle, that we are going to be in the crosshairs yet again, unfortunately, for us. I still remember after 9-11, I remember in the lead-up to the Iraq invasion, and I remember to the lead-up to the Afghanistan invasion all of the rhetoric that came our way. When these wars intensify, 
all of war is deception, as our Prophet ﷺ told us. They come with an intensified war of propaganda and information. And we've all lived it this past week. Where it's become incredibly difficult to tell what is true, what is right, what is wrong, who's speaking truth, who's lying, who has interests, who can I trust. And unfortunately for you and I, we are going to be directly in its crosshairs yet again. Because we live in the superpower backing this oppression. We live in the superpower supplying the propaganda. And we have our sympathies with our brothers and sisters being oppressed in that part of the land. And we're going to have to struggle this struggle while thinking about three distinct groups of people. It's not easy. We have to worry first and foremost about ourselves and our children, our own self-preservation. There are already attempts in the Western world to demonize any support of the Palestinian cause. There are already attempts to bring back all of those ridiculous racist tropes about Muslims and Islam. We're going to be in the crosshairs. Our kids are going to have to, if Allah wills that this continues, potentially suffer the way my generation did for whatever suffering that really was. But we're going to be under the constant microscope yet again. Do you condemn? Do you condemn? Do you condemn? With an immediate assumption that we're somehow people who want to kill innocents. We're the first group we have to worry about. The second group we're going to have to worry about is our brothers and sisters overseas. We've seen this script play out too many times. We see it happening again in plain sight. The language of genocide is starting again. And we have to. It is our duty to stand up for our brothers and sisters there to whatever degree we can. And this is the degree we can as a community. Not every individual has to. But as a community, we have to wage this struggle. We have to push back against the rhetoric. Because if we don't, more of our innocent brothers and sisters may die. And so after worrying about our own self-preservation, we have to make sure to defend our brothers and sisters as much as we can. And the third group we're going to have to worry about is our non-Muslim neighbors, who may be at one time or another on the other side of the struggle from us. But our mission is not a narrow-minded nationalistic mission for land. That's not what the mission of Muhammad is or was. Our mission is the mission that was given to Adam السلام, and given to all of the prophets through Musa and Isa and Muhammad Our mission is to call the hearts of this world to la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. And that mission is above everything else and every other mission we have underneath it will be served by this mission being met. The more people are connected with their God, the more beauty and justice and mercy we will see in this earth. And so we have to engage in this struggle with an eye towards these three groups. And it is not easy. It is going to be difficult. It's going to require a great deal of wisdom. And in a statement I never thought I would say, we live in a more information-heavy time now than we did 20 years ago when 9-11 happened. And that... Mass information hasn't brought clarity, it's brought way more confusion. And so I want to remind you of three important reminders. If we want to make sure to get through this struggle correctly, there are three things we have to remember. Number one, when the darkness of confusion falls over you, only the nur of Allah will guide you to what's right. Do not expect 
your mind or your capabilities to do investigative journalism by looking at some tweets or Googling some news stories to be sufficient to help you know what is true and what is not. Only the nur of Allah will do that. And the nur of Allah has to be cultivated in the heart. That means you have to struggle. You have to struggle to purify. I have to ask Allah for forgiveness for my sins. I have to stop doing those things. I have to increase my ibadah, my worship to Allah. Because only a heart filled with the nur of Allah will be able to see the right way forward. The second thing we have to remember is to hold on, clench on with your teeth if you have to, to the sunnah of our beloved Master Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. One thing that I worry about, our community, unfortunately, has lost its own language. It's lost its own way to articulate itself through these struggles. And so we end up adopting the language of enemies sometimes, and we end up adopting the language of allies, well-meaning allies, but they don't share our ultimate mission. They agree with us on this cause. Alhamdulillah, we will work with them on this cause. But they don't share our mission. We are not revolutionaries out for a bloodlust. We are not out for vengeance. Our beloved master Muhammad did not win over Mecca with bloodshed. He was exiled. His people, his followers were killed. He never came back and did that to the people. The great miracle of our master Muhammad was that those very same people who hated him for those 20 years came to love him before he left this earth. They came to believe in Allah before he left this earth. And if we adopt the tactics and the language of even our allies, I worry that we will stumble and fall in this struggle. We don't believe in tit-for-tat justice. We don't believe in doing things for vengeance. We believe in doing things lillah. And we will speak the truth. And we will stand up for what's right. But we will be merciful when it's, when it's time to be merciful. We will be forgiving when it's better to be forgiving. And we will keep an eye to the fact that at the end of the day, even the worst of those perpetrators and oppressors on this earth today, I don't want to mention their names, people that I hate with such fierceness in my heart for the oppression that they have put on this earth, they are not worse than Fir'aun. And Allah told Musa, Go to Fir'aun and speak a kind word. Perhaps his heart will come back to me. We will never close the door on any human being so long as they are alive. And to do that properly, hold on to the sunnah of our beloved master Muhammad wasallam. And the last thing I want to remind you and I of. It feels lonely sometimes. It does. When you see the world descending on people who look like you and think like you and believe like you. And you see people cheering on their deaths and then telling you that they deserve that death. And then telling you that they are the murderous, crazy idealists that need to be removed from this earth. It hurts. And you feel alone. But you are not alone. Look how packed this masjid is. Look how packed the masjids of this country are. Look how packed the masjids of the earth are today praying for our brothers and sisters over there. You are not alone. But in order for you to remember that you're not alone, you need to lean into this community. Not for the message's sake, for your sake, for your family's sake, for your children's sake. It can get lonely in this struggle, but it doesn't have to be. Build those bonds of brotherhood together. Stick to one another. Stay with the masjid. Stay with this jama'ah. Let us struggle together. Allah will put his barakah with us. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make you and I to be from those who hear what is said and follow the best of it. 
O oh Allah, all thanks and praise are due to you until you are pleased with us. And all thanks and praise are due to you if you become pleased with us. Ya Allah, forgive us our sins and accept from us our repentance. Ya Allah, we ask of you Jannah and we seek refuge in you from the hellfire. O oh Allah, please send an abundance of peace and prayers upon our most beloved Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. O oh Allah, you are the one who says, Kun fayakun. You are the one who says, Be and it is. Ya Allah, all dominion and power are in your hands. Ya Allah, you know the condition we come to you in. You know better the condition of our brothers and sisters across the world. And Ya Allah, you love them way more than our hearts love them. You know what they need, Ya Allah. We ask that you grant them their victories. Grant them their faraj. Ya Allah, remove the yoke of oppression from their necks. Ya Allah, we ask that you honor us by using us to remove this oppression from their necks. Ya Allah, we ask that you give us thabat. Give us steadfastness in our belief. Give us steadfastness in our character. And make us people whom you love. People on the way and the middle of our beloved messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa akhru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa aqamis salah. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. Straighten the rows and fill in all the gaps. Try to fill in every line all the way to the right before you start a new one. Allahu Akbar Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahmanir Rahim Maliki Yawmiddin Iyaka Na'budu wa Iyaka Nasta'in Ihdina Sirat Al-Mustaqeem صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر Allahu Akbar Sami'allahu liman hamida Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahmanir Rahim Maliki Yawmiddin Iyaka Na'budu wa Iyaka Nasta'in Ihdina as-sirat al-mustaqim 
صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قل هو الله أحد الله الصمد لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كفوا أحد الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حمد الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر Esselamu aleyküm ve rahmetullah. Esselamu aleyküm ve rahmetullah.